invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go to Mark's Gospel, Mark's, Mark chapter 9. It's going to be page 844 if you use one of the Bibles provided for you. The scripture reading earlier from Luke 9 is the parallel text to this text here in Mark's Gospel in uh, the event that was read earlier was the transfiguration of Christ. And so Jesus is up on a mountain and he, uh, he's up there with Peter, James, and John. And so the other nine disciples are, are not with them, just the three. And this event happens and um, yeah. So they come down and, and they, they come down into a war scene. I read the text, starting verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he, Jesus, answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to him, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God's blessing on this time. Father, I want to pause and just ask for your enablement to communicate clearly. I pray that we be able to listen to your spirit. Father, it's really not so much about the preacher being talented, but it's more about all of us having receptive hearts what the Word of God has to say. And so I pray that you would remove distractions and that you would give us a focus and attention to you and your Word right now. And may we listen to your Spirit. Without you, we can do nothing and we joyfully acknowledge and accept that. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. The title of the message is uh, Prayer the Sine Qua Non of Christian Service. Sine Qua Non means it's the essential, indispensable ingredient of something that makes something what it is. Okay, so for example, the sine qua non of chocolate chip cookies are chocolate chips, right? Now, one of the greatest disappointments in life is biting into a chocolate chip cookie only to realize that it was really raisins in the cookie. Am I right, Rick? I mean, 
Who allows such irresponsibility in the kitchen? So a sine qua non of something is the indispensable ingredient of that uh, ingredient or that, that entity or an indispensable circumstance about it. So another example would be that wind is the sine qua non of flying a kite. You can't fly a kite without wind. And so you have to have wind in order to fly a kite. So if, if, if your child has a kite or someone you know has a kite and wants to go fly a kite, you have to say, well, what's the weather like? Because if there's no wind, it's just not going to happen. And so the sine qua non is the indispensable essential ingredient or circumstance to make something happen. And so we've talked about in the last few weeks here, we've talked about how that we are to stand fast in the spiritual battle that we find ourselves in. And so if we're going to do that, and we're going to make disciples like we've also talked about, we must be a church who begins with prayer. That is the sine qua non to Christian ministry here. It's prayer. If we fail to instinctively go to God in prayer, we are nothing more than a practical atheist. And this is seen in our text this morning that we just read. The disciples were confused. And Jesus' response has an implication in it that they had forgotten the sine qua non of serving Him. And he said, this thing only happens through prayer. So the thesis, if I were to give a thesis of the sermon this morning, it would be this. Prayer must precede any and all of our attempts at serving God. Prayer must precede any and all of our attempts at serving God. And so if we want any good thing to happen here, if we want to see God do great things in your life personally, this life corporately, this community, this state, this country, this world, we have to be a people of prayer. It has to precede everything we attempt to do. Now why is this? Let's work through this text this morning. Let's work through this idea. Number one, when we pray, we are recognizing our inability. By by inference, when we go to God and ask for help, we are are telling Him, we are recognizing the fact that we are unable to do it. It's kind of like when someone was in school and they couldn't get the the algebraic understanding. And and I still struggle with algebra. I, I, I don't think letters and numbers were intended to be together. But what, what, trying to get that concept down, you have to go and get a tutor like I did when I was in high school and say, hey, listen, Mr. Brasheko was his name. I said, listen, I don't understand this math concept. Can you spend extra time with me and help me with this? What was I doing? By asking for help, I was recognizing my inability. You don't ask for help. You don't go to someone for advice. You don't get, enter into a conversation like that with someone if you don't think that you need Help. And so by prayer, this is the reason why it's so important for us, because it causes us to recognize and remember our inability. We need to remember that without Jesus, we are destined for failure. We have to understand it. We don't like to think about that, but it's true. Without Jesus, we are destined for failure. This is true of our eternal state, and it's true of our daily life. We are willing to recognize our inability to reach heaven's shore um, uh, on our own, but far too often we are unwilling or at least forgetful about recognizing our inability when it comes to our jobs, our families, or even ministry efforts. We have to be a people who are committed to prayer and saying whatever we do, whatever attempts we make for God, whatever life circumstances we find ourselves in, we need to go to prayer first. I see this in what Jesus was saying here. I see the disciples, they recognized or or they were reminded of their inability here. Jesus himself affirmed our inability in John 15, 5. He read this in our call to worship. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing? This grates on us. 
This, this is a hard thing for us to wrestle with. This is something that we don't like to really think about. We, we'll give lip service to it. Oh, yeah, we need Jesus. But if we really, I mean, think about that. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Now, the reason why this grates on us is because our whole lives are geared towards independence. When we're, when we're raising our children, we're seeing them grow. And, and what is it that we're trying to get them to do? We're trying to get them to do things on their own. I, I've looked at a nook and I said, Isaiah is getting to the point where he's eating by himself a little bit. Need some help. And I remember Mia getting to that stage and now she eats by herself. We have to remind her to take a bite every five seconds, but that's a whole other issue. She goes to the bathroom by herself. It's a blessing. So now we have one that needs help with the bathroom. I've looked at a nook and said, I can't wait. I can't wait. Both kids can go to the bathroom on their own. Both kids can eat on their own. Parenting, I mean, that, that's a huge milestone, right? We're trying to get our kids to independence. When on the other side of life, What's one of the hardest transitions for seniors? It's losing independence. It's when they can't drive anymore. Last night we were in Costco, and we just got a new Costco membership, and so I wanted to go get Chicago mixed popcorn because that's the reason why you have a Costco membership. And and so we were we were we were walking down the aisle, and there was a a, a sweet elderly lady, and she's pushing her cart, but she wasn't paying any attention at all where it was going. And it was going right for my wife. And, and my wife is moving over, and she's up against the aisle. There's no other place for her to go, and the cart's coming at her. I'm behind her saying, I see a sermon illustration, all right? <laughs> Probably should have said something else, but I, I was like, okay, all right, here, I, see, I see what's happening here. And so my wife is like doing one of these numbers, you know, and this, this elderly lady, her daughter, uh, who herself was an a adult lady, she, she, she's walking behind her. She sees this happening, so she's trying to direct her, her mom's cart. And so she finally gets the cart over, and so I walk behind, and I'm thinking, well, that didn't work out the way I thought it was going to. And, and so she says to me, she says to me, the, the daughter says to me, she kind of whispers, she goes, that's why she doesn't have her license anymore. <laughs> she lost her independence, and we laugh, but that's a difficult thing. I worked in senior care for three years, and it, it's a, that's a difficult moment. I have had those conversations where I have to sit across from the desk or sit on the couch with someone and try to explain to them why this is the best thing for them, and it's a very difficult conversation. Some of you have walked that path, and you know. Why is it so difficult? Because our whole lives are geared towards independence. Our whole lives are geared towards me doing it myself. And yet Jesus here is saying in John 15, you can't do it without me. That you really are dependent. You cannot serve God in any meaningful way if we are not recognizing our inability by going to God in prayer. And so this is the whole point here. Jesus is saying you can't do anything. And so when we come to this, when we go to prayer, we are instinctively saying, and we are saying to God, God, we understand that you are in control. We understand that we bow to you. We understand that you call the shots. And so we are going to say that it's, we are unable to do what we need to do apart from you. That's why we go to prayer. That's why this is the sine qua non of Christian ministry. So whatever ministry you find yourselves in, we've got to be praying all the way through it. We also need to remember the danger of familiarity. See, this is what I think was happening here back in our text in Mark 9. Apparently, judging from Jesus' statement to the disciples, they had neglected to pray before attempting the exorcism. Now, that seems a little odd to our contemporary ears. If I came to you after church, I said, hey, you got any plans after lunch? I said, no. And then, cool. Can you help me with an exorcism? That would get your attention, right? You know, we would be like, wait a minute here. This, this is a major deal. But apparently, the disciples had neglected to pray about this. How could they do that? I mean, this is a major deal. How is it that they could neglect such an important part to this because it was such a major deal? I think the answer involves familiarity. 
Back in Mark chapter 6 is where we understand this text. In Mark 6, you don't have to turn that, put it on the screen if you like. But it says this in verse 7. Jesus called the twelve and he began to send them out two by two. And look at this. It says he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He gave it to them. He said, you have authority over this. And then, just a few verses later on, look at verse 13, I put it on the screen, it says this, and they cast out many demons, not just one, they cast out many demons and anointed with oil, many who were sick, and healed them. So they had this great ministry going on here, these disciples, they had been given authority, and so they went out and they were exercising that authority, and demons were being cast out left and right. It was a major deal. So they had done this before. They had Jesus' stamp of approval. It was almost like another day, another exorcism. It was familiar to them. There's a danger in that. With familiarity, we lose urgency. We do lose urgency over time. Remember the first day on your new job. Think back. Some of you had recent job changes. Some of you have been working on the same job for many, many years. But think back to that first day. Did you pray a lot that first day? I remember I did. I remember getting new jobs, and I remember praying constantly because I had to learn so much in such a short amount of time. And I didn't want to look like an idiot, let's be honest. And so just praying, God, help me. God, God help me learn this. God, help me to do this. And, and, and there's a lot of prayer that goes on, right? That first day. Or remember starting a, a new school? Did you pray? Did you pray that first day of school? I remember transferring schools in my junior year of high school. And I knew nobody in that school. And I remember praying a lot that first day. Help me to make some friends. Help me to not be, not, not make an, an idiot out of myself. Help me, God. Help me, to, help me to do well in school. I remember that. I remember the jobs and all that stuff. But what happened? Over time, I stopped praying. Why? Because of familiarity. I became comfortable with the school or the job or whatever you... And so some of you, I think, probably can identify in those first few days when you're starting things out, you're praying a lot and everything, but over time, you lose some urgency because it becomes familiar to you. We do lose urgency and intentionality over time. We, when I was about 12 years old, my, my father bought a small fishing boat and... In order for us to go out in the boat, it was similar to to that boat there. Um, In order for us to go out in the boat, my dad made my brother and I take a a boating safety class. And so we we went and and took this class. And I remember taking the test and and about what the buoys mean and all that stuff. No idea to this day. But but at the time, because I wanted to drive the boat. And dad said, the only way you can drive the boat is if you take this class. And so I took the class. I remember my dad and I remember the instructor repeatedly saying, always respect the water. Always respect the water. Even if it's calm out. When you go out there, respect the water. You know, we didn't live by any oceans growing up, but we lived by a lot of Great Lakes and some other lakes that aren't considered Great Lakes that are just as big almost. And a lot of water and being out on the water it was amazing. Fog could come in. Storms could come up. And I remember, always respect the water. They were telling me not to get too complacent out there. Don't get too familiar because that's when bad things happen. When we lose the urgency, when we lose the intentionality of it, we think, I've done this before. It's no big deal. That's when we, we make some mistakes. And so the danger here is familiarity. And so I think the disciples here, what was happening is that they had done this so many times before. In Mark chapter 6, they said they'd done this. And so they just started to assume that it was another day, another job. They could get it done. And all of a sudden, they were smacked in the face with reality that they couldn't do it. And Jesus says, you got to pray about this. you got to acknowledge your inability. This whole time, it wasn't you doing this. So... 
there's a danger in familiarity. We do lose urgency and intentionality over time. We develop the mentality that we have the situation under control. We tend to forget about our inherent inability. Now, how is this seen? Well, let me ask a few questions, and maybe we can make some application here. As, you, you, as it seems, I'm just going to use a couple of examples of ministries in our church, but there are many more areas that we could go with this. When you show up to help in Awana, you show up without praying first. And I'm not just talking about if you're the teacher, because sometimes we, we'll pray about those things, but I'm talking about if your job is to listen to verses, or leading games, or organizing crafts. Those are just as important times as the lesson. In fact, many times, opportunities for gospel conversations comes during those times. Pray to God that He will give you the ability to recognize and take those opportunities. What about when you help a nursery? Do you pray before heading in there? Some of you are like, absolutely. (laughs) Because I have your son in there. Don't let the familiarity of the job blind you to the spiritual work that is taking place inside those rooms. Pray for those kids while you're there. You have an opportunity as you hold those kids, you play with those kids, to pray over those kids. Pray for their souls. Pray for their parents as they participate in the worship service. You have an incredible opportunity to strengthen this body by praying over the most vulnerable of our church community each Sunday. Pray over them. No matter what we do, we should be praying and saying, God, this is your deal here. So don't let the familiarity or the mundaneness of the work overshadow the importance of approaching that ministry with prayer. Or what about for those who are greeters? Do you pray? Do you pray for the ability to say just the right words that people need to hear in that moment? Do you realize that every Sunday, every Sunday, there are people that come who almost didn't make it here? They, they had fought off the devil to get here, and you are the first person they see. Pray for them. Pray for their soul. Please realize that there's much more than going on than just handing them a bulletin. Or at least, it should be more than that. You see, these are just examples, and, and we could go on and on with different ministries and different opportunities, but the sine qua non of Christian ministry is prayer. We've got to be praying over these these ministries, in every attempt that we do, we have to start with prayer. This was the disciples' mistake here. They wanted to do a good thing. It wasn't a bad thing that they were trying to do. It was a good thing they were trying to do. But they didn't start with prayer. We need to start with prayer. See, if we neglect prayer, we end up seriously overestimating our abilities. It's not just enough that we forget that we are unable to do things apart from Christ, but we start thinking that we actually have the situation under control. We end up like this guy here. Okay? Like, yeah, I got this. And and, and the job is much bigger than we realize. The the task is much greater than we can even fathom. And yet we start to to, to rest on our own abilities. Or we end up like this guy. Yeah, I got this. Don't worry. Nothing's... Listen, if, if that truckload starts to go, that guy hanging on the back isn't going to make a difference. He's just going to be part of, of the whatever's uh, all over the road here. You see, when we neglect prayer, though, we, we, we do overestimate our abilities. And so, God has pleaded with us as a church, whatever we do, Let's go to God in prayer, recognizing our inability. For apart from me, Jesus said, we can do nothing. Our innate ability to serve God effectively should drive us to consistent prayer. Now, this story that we read in Mark chapter 9, there was at least one person in this story that never forgot their inability. Know who that was? That was the boy's father. The boy's father, I mean, it's pretty pathetic when you read, and it moves me as a dad when I read this account and I put myself in in his situation. We see the passion, we see the urgency that this man had for his son. And we need to have that same passion, that same sense of urgency, that same desperation that the boy's father had. Look at verse 22. Jesus had asked him a question. He says, but if you can do anything... 
have compassion on us and help us. He didn't say, help my boy. He said, help us. Because he was bearing this burden with his son. And he realized that there was nothing he could do. For those of you who are parents, you know. You know that feeling of, if I could take this away from you in this moment, I would do it. If you're in pain, my child, and if I could take it away, I would do it. But you can't. In that moment, we realize our, we realize our inability. That word help, verse 22, is from a, a compound word, which is putting basically the two words run and cry together. The urgency and the desperation of the situation was not lost on this father. And may we approach our father with the same dependence and recognition of our own inability. So first when we go to prayer, we recognize our inability. Secondly, when we pray, we are affirming God's infinite ability. Now I'll just stop and say this, the three points today, they are weighted from highest to lowest. And so if you're looking at your watch, don't worry. This is intentional to spend more time on the first part than on the second and third part. When we pray, we are affirming God's infinite ability. We need to remember that any good thing that has happened has happened because of God's ability to do what we cannot. So we've talked about how man is unable to do something But God is able to do anything. So what bridges that gap? Prayer. Prayer is where man's inability meets God's infinite ability. Prayer is where man's inability meets God's infinite ability. This is where we recognize I can't do this. I can't minister in this way. I can't live this way. I can't be the husband I need to be. I can't be the wife I need to be. I can't be the parent. I can't be the child. I can't be the student. I can't be the worker. I can't be anything that I need to be on my own strength. So I go to the one who has infinite ability and say, God, this is what I need. You have called me to be a good husband. You have called me to be a leader. You have called me to be a wife, a mother. You have called me to be a worker, a sibling. You have called me to do this. And so you have the infinite ability to help me do this. And so I go to you asking for that. This is where prayer bridges that gap. So we go to God and we ask him, Help us. Knowing God's ability and God's nature informs our prayers. Knowing who God is helps us pray better. Like Tim Keller says, the clearer our understanding of who God is, the better our prayers. The more we will go to God because we realize that He has infinite ability that we need for any situation and that we have the, that we have the inability and so, to, to make it happen, and so we go to God, and that's what these disciples, they were missing here. They had to go back to Jesus. They had to go back to the Father and say, Father, we can't do this on our own, but you can. And this boy needs to be delivered. Would you please, you've given us authority over this. You've told us to do this. But this power does not reside in us. It's delegated authority. It's not inherent authority. And we recognize that. And so we ask that you would do this. You know, it's interesting if you were to study through Acts after this. You go through it. Almost every time where we see a, a major thing happening like this, the disciples were very careful to say, in the name of Jesus, rise, take up your bed and walk. Or in the name of Jesus, this. They were very careful to remember that the power came from God. And I, ha- I can't help but wonder if this, this scenario here had a huge role in them remembering that. But the, the sad part is, we do forget God's ability. We do so when we neglect to pray. You know, and, and I, I've, I've mentioned this before, I preach messages that I need. You know, the way I'm wired, I've shared this before, the way I'm wired is that if I come across the problem, step number one is work hard. And if that doesn't work, step number two, work harder. And if that doesn't work, then you have to go to the final step, step number three, work even harder. That's kind of how I'm wired. But it's wrong. Step number one is pray. That's step number one. We do forget God's ability when we neglect to pray. Moses forgot God's ability when he hit the rock. 
Joshua forgot God when he made the plan with the Gibeonites without consulting God. Made a deal with this foreign army, a treaty. They had deceived him. He didn't ask God. He didn't make counsel at all. And it ended up being a bad thing for him and his nation. And he's condemned for not asking God's counsel on this. Moses is the same way. God, we've got to remember this, God has infinite ability. This truth is why Jesus responded the way he did. This is why in verse 19, Jesus says, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? He was saying, wait a minute here. Don't you realize that God can do all things? Don't you realize that the power really is in God? And he's exasperated by this. And then later on, in verse 23, he says to the Father, if you can, all things are possible. He says, God has, has all the ability. So we need to remember that any good thing that happens it comes from God. Secondly, we need to remember that the, we need to remember the scope of God's ability. Let's never forget what God has accomplished. Don't forget that. You know, um, there's uh, theologians refer to two different kinds of revelation. They have general revelation and special revelation. General revelation is nature and things like that. Special revelation is his authoritative word. And I believe that God's given us general revelation for an important reason. It's so that we never forget his ability. You know, think about creation. You can't look at a scene like that and not think, wow, God's amazing. You can't stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon and have this surge of self-importance. We're dwarfed by it. We see, man, something great made this. You look at these and the mountains and the waterfalls and the water and the green. You ever look at all the different colors in this world and you look around and you think, this is amazing and this happened at God's word. Infinite ability. And so we let's plug this back into here. We're asking God to do great things here. We're asking God to, to make us the church that we should be. We're asking God to make disciples here. If He can speak the world into existence, He can save your family member's soul. Because He's that powerful. I think of transformation. Think of, you know, a butterfly illustrates a transformation process. I think of people. I think of the people who you have seen God transform their lives. You see, God has this infinite ability. We cannot lose sight of that. And we start to lose sight of that when we start depending on the arm of the flesh. And we start to lose sight of God's ability when we start making these great plans and these strategies. And I'm all about having a plan and I'm all about strategy and all that. But the reality is that cannot precede prayer. We've got to be people who go to God and say, God, what do you have? You do this. We can't do this. We will work as hard as we can, but it is you who are the one who is actually doing the effective work here. Look at what Jesus said here. And Jesus, when he responds in verse 25, he says, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Talk about God's infinite ability. He says, never enter again. In the way it's written, it's like, there's not a possibility of you entering this boy again. I will not allow it. It was very categoric. Can you imagine the emotion of the father in that moment? When he heard Jesus say, come out and never enter him again. Could you imagine... That surge of relief and hope that probably was the first time in years. For most of the time, he knew his son was afflicted with this demonic oppression. And no doubt they had tried all the medicines of the day. No doubt they searched for someone to heal them. No doubt that they were looking around for different ways to make it better for their son. And they were not getting anywhere. And maybe the boy had a good day here and there. But then it always went back and there was no hope. But then Jesus enters the scene. I mean, even Jesus' disciples couldn't do it. Could you imagine the hopelessness of this father in that moment? 
And he loves his boy so much. And he just wants his son to be free from this pain and free from this disease and free from this demonic oppression. And he's doing everything he can. He's probably spent his life savings for this. And then Jesus enters the scene because even his disciples couldn't do it. And Jesus says, come out. I command you, never enter him again. Jesus compassionately yet forcefully cast the demon out. But did you notice it got worse before it got better? Did you notice that in the text it says after crying out, verse 26, the con- and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so much that everyone thought he was dead. Maybe even the father thought he was dead too. Just another hope being dashed. But then Luke, if we were to read this account, Luke, Luke adds a detail that Mark does not. In here, Mark, it says it took him by the hand. Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and arose. And then Luke adds, and he gave him back to his father. Oh, I'd love to have been there. I would have loved to have been there. I'd love to see that victorious moment, that moment where the dad takes his son back and knows, and knows that the demon will never, ever return again. Because of God's infinite ability. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That was a reality for that father in that moment. And this is the reason why we have the text of Scripture. We have it so we can know this. And one day, one day Jesus will lift you and me up. And hand us to the Father. And in that moment, we will know that sin, disease, and corruption will have lost its grip on us forever. Forever. And it's not because of our ability. It's because of God's infinite ability. What a powerful moment. This is why we pray. We pray because we can't do this stuff. We can't make this church grow. We can't make disciples. We can't encourage our spouse and our children. We can't be the employee that we need to be. We can't. But, through Jesus we can. Through Jesus we can see things that would just amaze us because of God's infinite ability. This is the power of Jesus. So why don't we go to him and ask us, ask him for great things? I think it's partly because we're afraid to be disappointed. Because we think our solution is best and we don't want to hear no. We have our, our, our idea about this and, and sometimes we don't pray because we're afraid that somehow Jesus is going to say something different and, and it's not going to be what we want. But remember that that if God does says no, or he appears silent, remember that God's silence is never due to inability. It's due to superiority. He has better plans than we know. This is where we need to go back to the rock-solid belief in the goodness of God. So if God says no, it's because he is really saying, I have something that is exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. That's a picture of my ring. And in it, when my wife gave that to me, she inscribed that reference. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or think. She was saying, God has given you more than you can ask or think when he gave you me. No, that's not what she was saying. The point was, we just couldn't believe how God put us together. The story and, and, and the 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 difficulties. She was living in Belgium at the time. I was in Illinois. Um, just how God worked it all together. Um, we had had other relationships before that didn't work out and all that. And, and so um, God, when he says no, it's because he has something far better. We have to believe that. And when we fail to do that, we're really failing to believe in God's infinite ability. And that's why we go to the Lord in prayer and say, God, what do you want here? What do you want to happen in this church? 
What do you want to happen in our family? What do you want to happen with my job? What do you want to happen with my relationship with my parents? Whatever the case may be. The story of Augustine confirms this point. Augustine was a rebel, someone who ran from God. And his mother Monica, who is depicted in this painting with him, she prayed faithfully for him, but her prayers seemed to fall on deaf ears. She prayed for her son, prayed for her son, and that he wouldn't go places, that he wouldn't do things, and yet he still did it. He still did it running, running, running away from God. Those were long nights, I'm sure, for Monica. Author Philip Yancey records this in one of his books. He says this, Sometimes, though, an unanswered prayer opens the door to something far better. For 15 years, Monica prayed for her son Augustine as he indulged his senses and investigated exotic philosophies. When Augustine finally converted, these were the very experiences that gave depth and richness richness to his writings, allowing him to set the course of Christian thought for centuries. One time, Monica prayed all night that God would stop her son from going to wicked Rome. But he tricked her and sailed away. But it was on that trip that Augustine became a Christian. Reflecting later, he said that God denied his mother once in order to grant her what she had prayed for always. See, the thing is, is that if God says no or doesn't like our plan or thing, that's where we got to go back to His infinite ability and His goodness. So this is why we pray. This is why we go. We pray because we can't do it. We pray because He can do anything. We've got to be people of prayer. And we don't know what's going on in the spiritual world. Daniel prayed and didn't hear an answer. He was confused by this. You can read about this in Daniel chapter 10. Later on, when the angel finally did come, he informed him that while on the way to answer the prayer, he was held up in a spiritual battle. That's the reason why he didn't hear anything. You see, we don't know what's going on. That's why we trust God, because He's greater. So we need to pray. We need to pray knowing that God has infinite ability. So what great things do you think God has planned for you, for your family, for this church? Some of you know the right things to do, but we do not do it because we know it will be hard or unpleasant. Pray about it. Ask God for help. And this can be said for prayer itself. It's hard to pray. Twice Paul talked about laboring in prayer. Once in Romans, once in Colossians. Maybe that's why some of us haven't come to our prayer times, because we know that it's hard work. But you know what my advice is about that? Pray about it. Ask God to give you the ability to work hard and pray with your brothers and sisters. You think it's in God's plan that we stand fast against the devil? You think it's in God's plan that we make disciples? Then let's continually beseech God to make disciples and stand firm right here. Because God's infinite ability can make that happen. Now finally this morning, in just a few few minutes left, we pray when we pray, we are revealing our faith in God. You see, prayer is the sine qua non of Christian ministry because when we pray, we're recognizing our inability. We're, when we pray, we're affirming God's infinite ability. And when we pray, we're revealing faith in God. And we need to remember that God requires faith. And this is what he was going to. Remember, when Jesus said to him, he says, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. He requires faith. He says, you've got to believe in me. You've got to believe in who I am. I'm not a genie that you rub the lamp and I come out and I just grant the wishes. you got to believe in me. Faith is required. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to believe Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek them. And what better way to show our faith in God than by passionately praying to Him? We can trust Him with our most vulnerable feelings and desires when we pray. And we have to believe that 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 is true. Otherwise, we will not pray as we should. But perhaps one of the reasons why we don't pray is because maybe some of you view God as distant or uninterested or easily irritated. Can I just say that's not God? That's not who He is. If it were, we'd be better off not bothering Him with our prayers. 
but rather he's a God who wants us to boldly approach him, the Scripture says. Approach him as a compassionate, loving father. We cannot claim to have faith in God if we're not taking the time to talk to him. He is the object of our faith. We've got to remember that God requires prayer. But we also thankfully need to remember that God does not require perfect faith. Do you see this in the text? He says, if you can, verse 23, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Verse 24. I love that text, that verse. It, it, the way it's written, it's actually a command. He says, help me. And he's telling me, you, you need to do this. And he's saying, you need to do this continually. This is not just a one-time help. You've got to continually help me to do this. This is one of my most favorite verses in all of Scripture. And consequently, it's perhaps one I quote most often. God, I believe. Help my unbelief. You see, if, if we're to approach God in faith and because recognizing His infinite ability because we understand that we are unable to do what we need to do, we understand that we go to Him and say, God, I, I believe in You. I believe in Your ability. I believe in Your goodness. I believe in You. But help my unbelief. And notice that Jesus does not rebuke this man in this moment. Notice He doesn't say, you know what? If you've got to ask me to help your unbelief, I'm not doing this. You need to believe in me. And walks away. He didn't do this. He compassionately then takes and he uh, 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 takes the demon out of the man's son. Because perfect faith isn't a requirement. And that should cause us a great sigh of relief. We should be joyful about that and say, good. Because now you can help me with my unbelief. We know God wants us to pray. But what hinders us from gathering and praying together? If it's not apathy, I think it could be fear. Fear of what others will think of us when we pray. You know, I, I think that some people think that there's a special language that we have to know in order to pray in public or with other people. But you know, here's the secret. There's no secret language. There's no special language to use. In fact, that thought, if I can be so bold, is just a strategy of the enemy to keep you from praying. That's all it is. I really don't care what language you use. I mean, I'm not advocating this, but I've been in situations where I've heard people passionately pouring their hearts out before the Lord and then cussing left and right, praying to God. And guess what? I don't think God minded. Because it's a heart issue. It's pouring their heart out before the Lord and that's all the language the person knew. I don't think God rejected the prayer because it wasn't the right word. And that's not, that's not the case. And so if that's a, if that's a roadblock for you, Let me just just very, very compassionately try to tell you, please know that that's a strategy of the enemy. And and, and believe in God. Because if you look around this room, I don't think there's anyone in here that wants you to fail in your spiritual journey. When we're praying together, no one's going to be thinking anything bad. Oh, they said this. or They didn't pronounce that word right. Or whatever. Prayer is talking to God. Pouring your heart out before Him. Can I drive the application home just a little bit further here? Think about how little you are thinking of everyone else when you assume that people are thinking bad of you. You're not assuming the best of people. And if someone really does have a judgmental attitude in their hearts while listening to you pray, then the problem is with them, not with you. So let's not let fear keep us from praying together. I've been trying to rack my brain. Why is it so hard for us to pray together? I'm sure there's many reasons, but these are just some that I'd just like to try to put to rest. We will never grow as a faith family or faith community as we need to until we are comfortable with praying with one another. I firmly believe that. We need to grow. And we won't grow like we should until we can pray together. Knowing that God does not require perfect faith should give us the boldness that we need to pray with one another. If God doesn't require perfection, why should we? We don't. So when I hear you pray, 
my heart rejoices. I don't think, oh, they quoted the wrong verse. I don't think, oh, I need to work that into a sermon somehow to make sure they get that prayer right next time. I rejoice that I'm praying with my brother. And I suspect the vast, vast, vast majority of everyone else here feels the same way. But the enemy wants to project on us a different thought. Let's not let him do that. I'm tired of him winning that battle. Part of standing firm is saying, we're going to pray together, regardless of what we think. You know, here's the thing. The more we do it, the easier it becomes. Mark my words. So, if you don't have boldness to pray, do you know what my answer to that is? Pray. Ask God to give you boldness. In, in Acts chapter 4, the disciples had to ask God for boldness. If those guys who walked with Jesus, if those guys who, who knew the sound of Jesus' voice, they knew exactly everything about him in a human sense, you, you know that. If they had to ask for boldness, it's okay if we need to ask for boldness. So ask for boldness to pray. So let me conclude. We have said that we're in a spiritual war. Our task is to stand fast and to endure. The only way we can do that is through prayer. The war that we end is not primarily physical, but it's spiritual. The weapons of our warfare, therefore, are spiritual. And so prayer is our weapon of warfare for us. We've also said that our purpose is to make disciples, and we cannot do this without prayer. We cannot expect to grow in our own discipleship or for new disciples to be made here unless we are fervently praying to God to do what only He can do. We need to recognize our inability, affirm God's infinite ability, and respond to God in prayerful faith if we are going to see God do great things here. Remember, prayer is where man's inability meets God's infinite ability. Let us never endeavor to do anything for God without praying first. Prayer must precede any and all of our attempts at serving God. Prayer must become a priority of our church if we are going to be the church that God intends for us. Let's be a praying church. So, let's pray and then we'll transition to the Lord's Supper. Father, I do pray that we would always recognize our inability and your infinite ability. Father, I do pray that you would that we would respond to you in faith. Help us to be a church who prays together. Help us to just instill in us the importance of gathering together and praying and then praying on our own. Lord, you know, you know the conviction that I have felt personally this week as I've studied this about how I fall short in this. I don't pray with my wife enough. I don't pray with, with my family enough. And Lord, thank you for bringing these things in my life to help me to work on them. And Lord, I do pray that all of us would be people who consistently go to you, recognizing our inability and your infinite ability. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.